It was not an accident. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Maybe I'm in love with you I say maybe Maybe I'm in love with you Good afternoon, you've got Living Writers, and I'm T. Hetzel. Today I'm so happy to be talking via technology with Diane Cook. Uh, Diane, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, T. Nice to be back. I know it's so it's great that you're back. Yeah, we we talked a few years ago now when um your your story collection Man v Nature came out. Um and so it's 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 been a few years. I've missed you. <laughs> I missed you too. <laughs> oh, well, today um we're talking because your first novel is out in the world. The, the new wilderness, um, and and many congratulations on um, the the shortlist for the Booker Prize nominations too. Thank you. That was quite a shocker. I'm very very excited about it. Because you first must have heard about the long list, right? <laughs> yeah. What, what was that like? Well, it was an email from my editor, um, and it was like just pretty shocking. I don't think it's it was not an award. I knew, I knew my publisher in the UK had submitted me for it, but it wasn't. So I knew like, well, yes, now there is a very slim possibility that you could get on the list because you're going to be considered as opposed to a book that isn't considered. But I certainly didn't think that it would actually make it anywhere. And to then get on the short list was quite surprising. Um, and I'm like, really thrilled about it and I'm in love with the Booker judges they're like my favorite people now (laughs) I know they're like top of my list too now (laughs) good people yeah yeah I noticed because for here in the states um the press is 1817 Harper an imprint of Harper Collins publishers but Uh one world publications in the UK and that was same with man v nature too Yes. So I had like my first two books under contract with HarperCollins and then um, One World in the UK, which is just a a really small but great publisher, um, decided to take both books as well. And, you know, before the novel was really fully done. um, Wow. Yeah. So that was that was fun. The editor there is so wonderful. I love her. What's what's her name? Diana? Oh, her name is Juliet. Maybe, oh, and she's just—I uh, know. <laughs> um, she's just great. She just believes in the work I do, and that's really all you can ask. Oh, completely. And what a great name too. When I saw One World Publications, I was like, "This is a what a great home for this book." Yeah. I'll read the your short bio in the back of the New Wilderness. Diane Cook is the author of the story collection Man v. Nature, which was a finalist for the Guardian First Book Award, the Believer Book Award, and the Los Angeles Times Art Siedenbaum Award for First Fiction. Her stories have appeared in Harper's Magazine, Tin House, Granta, The Best American Short Stories, and the O. Henry Prize Stories. She received a 2016 fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts and is a former producer for the radio show This American Life. Diane lives in Brooklyn, New York. Um, with her husband, daughter, and son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With a with a full house these days, many yes, and and the the fun thing is that we're actually in Michigan right now, T, and and I was in Ann Arbor this morning. No, get yes. out! What the heck? <laughs> oh my goodness! I was, I was in Ann Arbor this morning. If it wasn't in the time of COVID, 
we mm-hmm. could have been. Yeah, it's 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 too bad. But I mean, there's like so much that's too bad right now. <laughs> so How, this is so... like one of the small things, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it sort of pales in comparison to um, the the kind of the earth shaking things we we hear about almost daily. It feels like yeah. right now. Um, yeah, the why too Michigan? bad, the terrible. Oh, my mother-in-law lives here, and um, we just had a baby uh, in June, another baby. So we have a, a daughter who's almost three, and now we have a little boy who's four months. And we just came to Michigan to get out of Brooklyn um, and to have a little extra space, have a yard, have some extra help, let, you know, our son meet other people besides us because we're basically <laughs> living in total quarantine um so we're yeah we're here we've been here about a month i don't know when we're gonna go back everything is very unclear <laughs> but <laughs> that's where we are right now oh i'm so glad you're here though diane it's <laughs> yeah, me yeah. Too. and many many congratulations on on your on your baby boy um joining he's he's got a good family <laughs> um, thank well, you you know what and this the new wilderness let's start talking about your novel your first okay. novel um it's it's like it's such it's also like a novel that's like a solid presence in the world there's nothing shy about this first novel um and it being in the world and and motherhood and mothers have a prominent uh, place throughout the pages. Um, Diane, could you could you talk a little bit about how um, when you knew that was going to be the case? Because it's it's Bea's story, it's Agnes's story, it's you know the the community's story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there's there is so much about motherhood. Yeah, um, I think I always knew I was going to write a book about mothers and daughters. Um, I I had the premise first. That was like the very first thing that came to me. But I think that I knew that I would be writing about a mother and daughter um, from the very beginning. And certainly Agnes and V were the first characters that came to me. Um, And I so much so that I, I feel like I must have had them in my head before I even came up with the idea for the novel. But I, I don't know that that's true, but they're so big and alive and uh, so much a part of my brain now that it seems impossible that there was ever a time I didn't have them in mind, you know? Um, but I, but I, I was... I tend to write a lot about motherhood, even before I was a mother, Um I think just like parsing out whether I wanted to be a mother um, in like in my book of short stories, there are a lot of stories about motherhood from a, like a slightly different timeline of that uh, identity. And I just think a lot about being a daughter. I thought I was thinking about a lot, a lot about being a daughter as I was writing this and then I had a daughter. And so I was thinking a lot about being a mother and, so I try to take on both sides of that relationship with the book. And and Diane, when you say like they're they're big and alive, uh, B and Agnes, um, mm-hmm. B the the mother and Agnes the daughter, um, who who then also has the experience of um, being a mother for mm-hmm. someone too mm-hmm. um like they're they're big and alive um does that mean like because when how long was it that it did it take for you to be immersed in the world of the new wilderness um I think well that's a really good question I like I had the idea in 2012 I put it aside for a couple of years because I didn't want to start writing it yet. But during that time, like it was building itself in my brain, you know, like I was taking notes about it and I was thinking about it, but I just wasn't doing anything formal with it yet. 
Why was that? Do you know? Like, or is it well, possible to say? Yeah, I was writing the short stories still, and yeah. I really cared about that project, and I wanted to finish it. And, you know, I think the questions that were coming to me with the story collection just felt more pressing. Um, and, you know, I just had, like, I had my own timeline. Like, I didn't want to write a novel yet, but I just, I had the idea, and I, I was really interested in the idea. Um is that is that when you had gone um, on the the U.S. Forest Service walk? Is that where the the germ of the the idea started? Yeah. So I was at this residency on the coast of Oregon called the Sitka Center for Art and Ecology, um, and I was there for like three months. And it was like the first residency I ever did. I was like pretty new out of grad school. I was working on these short stories. I just had like no other concerns. And I was like in this, like almost like it's, it's such a lush forest right on the coast. Um, and we would go for these walks with the, there was a, a nature conservancy land like that was adjacent to the residency and then a national state forest right behind or a national forest, I guess. And, um, it was just like a natural place. And a lot of what we did was thinking about, I mean, a lot of what I did was like, obviously writing my, the whole point of me being there was to spend time writing, but they always had these little, um, walks or events for us to do with people in the community who, you know, were like, were involved in some way in the local environment. And so we went on this walk and it wasn't even the walk itself that like inspired me but we were talking someone mentioned something about uh environmental mitigation which is a, a term for like a policy where if you develop one parcel of land you have to m mitigate another parcel of land back to a, re a wilded state you know like rewilding something mm. um and i just had this idea like what if there was like a huge area that decided that it was going to be the mitigation, like it was going to let itself be turned back into a wild place to like offset the development happening elsewhere. Um, and like, that's like the very early idea that got me, that got me the place in the novel called the wilderness state which is this large, vast wilderness. It's the last wilderness left in the country. And it, and actually like this origin story I'm telling you, like doesn't even really matter anymore because like, it's not really necessary for the novel. Um, it's like, this is like the very first thing that I thought of. And then the novel like took on its own form. And then I changed, you know, like, the reasons why something existed or the reasons why people were there. And I was just like fixing problems as I was writing, but like the space itself was this big, large connected, vast ecosystem. And in my mind, it got to be that way because it had once been a developed place that had been reverted back to a wild place. I forget yeah. what the original question was. Yeah. Well, no, that was great. I was, well, it was just, um, because I think in the acknowledgments section, you had said, thanks to um, two people at the USFS. Um, yes. So I was, I was imagining um, that, that sometimes, because sometimes when you're walking, that's also mm -hmm. when ideas happen somehow oh, for me all the time all the time and like so much of the book is like written in my iphone just when i'm walking around um really yeah like yeah oh yeah <laughs> um but yeah i remember that walk i'll never forget where i had where like i learned what that term was i didn't know what that term was and then it just it's like when you learn something that just lights a huge bonfire in your brain you know like <laughs> and it just you know it's like it's just a term that I hadn't heard before but my my imagination just took it and 
it was like the jumping off point for something that became became very like much more complex um and and took on a life of its own but that was the definitely the jumping off point and and so do you think cuz i'm going going back to something you said a little bit earlier Diane when you with like how you you had this idea 2012ish right and then you put it aside um because you wanted to to stay with the short story project that that became became man be nature like there was like right do you think mm-hmm. it actually helped in some way because you were accumulating like the idea didn't go away because sometimes people are like or at least you know I've even had this experience where something feels pressing and urgent and and I might dash down a few things but if I don't do more of it it can fade or or the time passes for it um whereas it Mm -hmm. sounds almost with um the the new wilderness you had pieces that you kept I don't know gathering or an accumulation yeah, it it kept growing for me. I I I know what you mean. Like there are sometimes those ideas that just fade, or you kind of talk yourself out of them over time. Yeah. What I did that I think was helpful was that I had the idea, and I liked it a lot, but I knew I didn't. I just didn't have the ability to work on it then. And I so, but I gave myself like a day, and I spent the whole day just like taking a ton of notes about it, like letting my brain go wherever. I'm sure this is where B and Agnes first appeared. Um, I just like wrote characters, wrote scenes, took a bunch of notes to myself, like rules for the world. I spent the whole day and I think I accumulated like 40 pages of notes. Wow. And so, and that was this like pure generative, like I didn't let myself not think something, you know, I just... (laughs) let myself do all of it all the you know like as much thinking as I could as much imagining and creating as I could and then I so I had that document always to look back on even when I felt like I was getting lost somewhere and Um, and so it was like in its own way a type of manifesto kind of yeah And, and it was just like I'd already started building it so I couldn't like I couldn't lose faith in it because I'd already built a foundation for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I built enough of, of a foundation for it that I, I, it became a real thing in my mind that I could return to. So even when I was finishing the stories and, and, you know, like finishing that book and even promoting it, I was, I always had the new, wilderness or the wilderness state in my head like it was always a real place after that and so I could always think about it and so even when I'm finishing the stories every now and then I'd start writing this I'd have an idea for the novel and I would just like go jot it down or go spend an afternoon writing about it so that it like slowly accumulated some real material and then and then I guess maybe in 2016, I started really writing it in earnest. Um, and where what it was does like, that, what does that look like for you? Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> before that, it looks a lot like, what'd you do today, honey? Oh, I went hiking. <laughs> Did you write? No, <laughs> that's what, that's what my life looked like beforehand. Um, and then when I'm writing in earnest, it's like, I start doing the really, um, disciplined thing of like writing every day or, I mean, not actually writing every day, but, uh, trying to get to a word count every day. You know, some writers do word counts where they try and write a thousand words a day. Warning for Washtenaw County in southeastern Michigan until 6.15 p.m.
At 5.18 p.m., a severe thunderstorm was located over Manchester, moving northeast at 30 miles per hour. Hazard, 60 miles per hour wind gusts. Source, radar indicated. Impact, expect damage to roofs, siding, and trees. This severe thunderstorm will be near, sailing and Dexter around 5.45 p.m. Ann Arbor around 5.50 p.m. Ypsilanti and Dixborough around 6.05 p.m. Salem around 6.15 p.m. Other locations impacted by the severe thunderstorm include Pittsfield Township, Whitaker, Hudson Mills Metro Park, Bridgewater, Delhi Hills, Pleasant Lake and Barton Hills. Repeating, a severe thunderstorm warning has been issued until 6.15 p.m. for the following county, Washtenaw, Michigan. couple years about 2004 yeah 2000 2014 to 2016 um so then that was like just hiking non-stop for me yeah. um and i didn't have children yet so i was running off to do residencies as much as i could um and yeah so and another one of the residencies that I did was up in Oregon and on the eastern side of Oregon in the high desert. And that's where I got the landscape for the new wilderness, um, where that, that landscape really uh, captured me and, and I had to write about it. And so was there something like a, like a caldera that you could see in the distance or any yeah. caves and... Well, there was this, yeah, there was, well, it's like, yeah, it's like, there is this cave there called the Paisley Cave, and it's actually where they, they have one of the earliest um, human relics of like, you know, a prehistoric, uh, or a primitive history where there's like fossilized human feces there oh, in Oregon. Um and that was like a place that we visited at the re when I was at the residency. And yeah, there's like, you know, there's calderas all around. I mean, not that I could see it, but um, Crater Lake is there. Uh, it wasn't near where I was, but um, it's like this, you know, that part of the country is this volcanic place. And I think the image in my mind was always like of a mount, a snow dusted Mount Hood that is just so like sharp you know it just looks like a triangle on the horizon yes. in some ways yeah um but there was this caldera nearby that was always closed because like it was a seasonal road up to the top and i was never there during the right season but it was this double caldera at the top and that definitely like i think partly because i couldn't go visit it like totally captured my imagination and i um end up writing about or imagining it, you know, and it's like takes, you know, it's one of the final places that they, they, uh, visit in the book. Diane, would you, before we, before we go, before we go any, um, further, would you mind reading, um, a little bit from like maybe about two minutes or so? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I'll do maybe just a little bit from a part of where they're walking uh, in the landscape. Oh, okay. Would this be the walk when B is is not not there? No, she's there still. It'll be more general, I think. Okay. Um, here, I'll read a little bit. Okay, I'm going to read, it starts, I'm going to start reading from the section, The Big Walk, um, which starts on page 61. Great. On the big walk, they passed through entirely new landscapes, tumbled into grasslands that smelled of nutmeg after a rain, bugling elk crowded valleys with sounds of a lost world, the animal equivalent of a haunting, lonesome whistle from the refineries outside the city. They passed into regions of low, strange mountains, a mix of jagged-looking peaks and mellow, rolling, red-capped hills. 
From far away, some hills stood like tiered wedding cakes. Up close, they were only once solid things crumbling to pieces. Between them lay swaths of, of grass dotted with juniper and pinion. The stars at night vibrated so closely together, their cloud of light covered the whole of the sky, so much more comforting than the narrow embrace of the Milky Way. They crossed new sage seas where all it did was rain. They didn't know if it was the season or the climate. The wet sage smelled like its best self, better even than its sunbaked self. It smelled clean and soapy and left the air sticky. The deer they met ran and ran and ran, then stopped and looked. And after seeing them still, the deer ran and ran and ran some more. The horizon was unreachable. They found the true desert, or it seemed to them, the soft alkali sands where they lost their tracks as the sun moved overhead, changing the texture of the land with its light. The loamy, dry lake beds, playas, smelled of mushrooms, of dark body crevices. The hot horizon floated in front of their eyes like a river of gold. They walked for days through knee-high plants and alkali lakes, dried and white and glazed and crackled, up long, low slopes, then down, and the sight was always the same. Another expanse of tossed brown and green sagebrush, tufted white grass, each plant distinct and curling into itself, and only itself. They could walk between each bush without touching one. It was a lonely landscape. I'll stop there. Thanks, Diane. Yeah. It's a beautiful place that I, you know, beautiful places um, inspired the wilderness state. And I, I, it's basically like an amalgam of all the beautiful, striking places out West that I had the privilege of seeing with my own eyes, you know? It's well, you can tell in the writing, you can feel this, this very much this, um, it feels like a, like this deep connection or honest, some honest connection of this, how much like this, this land is, is valued, like how much it is. Maybe it's also part of the the deep attention to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's what I wanted this book to be as much about nature as people. Um, and why, why is that? I just, I don't know. I mean, I, because that's what I like. (laughs) (laughs) I like nature (laughs) maybe more than people. (laughs) No, I like people. Um, <laughs> most of the time. Um, I, well, I, you know, I think most of the things that I read are nature writing. It would be called nature writing. Like, I read a lot of nonfiction. My whole, like, base of thinking about the world comes from a naturalist perspective. Um, I mean, the the reason you and I connected was because we had a mutual friend who I taught with at the New England Literature Program, which is the program at University of Michigan. Um, and that's like where the program where we would read Walden and Emerson and like read Frost and Dickinson and talk about literature through a lens of what it means to be in the same landscape that it's that it's talking about and so i think extracting place from people is like something i can't do anymore um it's just like too they're just they're just the same to me um and i don't and i don't know if it's like some fantasy life that I was like trying to live or I mean I live in Brooklyn it's like a shocking thing to most people who know me well that I I, I've like lived in Brooklyn for almost 20 years it doesn't make any sense to who I am as a person and yet it's it's what I do um but I think it's it's like either I write about the natural world as a way to escape where I live 
or or I write about the natural world in some kind of response. I don't know. I just, I just think the natural world tells me a lot more about things, about life and about people than the man-made world. And I will say that like being in a city and thinking about nature and trying to see nature is its own kind of work and a really rewarding work. Um, I know I laughed earlier when you were like, did you hike in Brooklyn? <laughs> um, but like, I can hike in Brooklyn. I live really near this great park and um, there are actually hills that make me breathe a little harder. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, it's a real, there is nature and, you know, my apartment's infested with cockroaches and we have mice and that's nature too, you know? <laughs> Lots of creatures, little beings. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's like nature is also the absence of, in my mind. So it's something that I'm thinking about all the time, even when it's not in front of me, because it's something that I want. And I don't, I honestly don't know where that desire came from. I grew up in the suburbs, you know, um, but it's, it's just something some, somewhere along the line, I crossed a path with some kind of wild thing that like took me uh, with it, you know, and I, I just, it's something that I just love to think about though. Like I'm not someone who's like lived like this. Like I don't, generally go I'm not a super rustic person I don't go back country camping like I stay on paths and I use maps and you know I mostly car camp these days because I have two kids and um right right but, but I don't know yeah I just love it well and yeah it because it it seems like it it definitely feels like it's a way of understanding the world where the world actually I don't know, it's a feeling as well as a, a thinking thing, I think, with it being in nature, like the experience of being um, open in a natural space. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the book, Diane, too, like hearing you talk a little bit about, you know, Brooklyn and um, like, because that would be informing parts of um, the new wilderness, because there's parts about the metropolis and how um they were i think uh, they were lucky because they had a tree in their neighborhood like in their like one tree in mm -hmm. in the neighborhood <laughs> and that was a rare thing in this this metropolis right the, yeah how things and the air in this metropolis was what i don't know do you want to talk a little bit about um the setup for why um why there is a need for volunteers in the wilderness state for the plot. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um so the book is this like speculative near future view of um a world where because of various things but probably mostly because of climate change and the degradation of the land and resources we already have um the world has gotten to, or the country has gotten to this point where most of the people live in like this huge metropolis called the city and all the other land in the country is being used for resources to, to support that population. Um, but there's one last wild place, you know, um, a wilderness area and it's, it exists basically by the grace of, whatever science government like it's it's the last thing um everything else has been developed in some way or being used in some way and this is the only place that's not being used outwardly for anything um except to study it right mm -hmm. um and in the city and because it's just like such it's like imagining the industrial revolution and what it would be like to live through that but you know again you know what i mean like there's going to be a time when, I mean, it, I mean, it's already the case, like where the cities are really polluted. Kids in the city have breathing problems and, you know, there's no, 
real true night because there's so much light pollution and I mean it's just like I just took what the city really is for many people and pushed it to its most extreme so in the city kids like get really sick from the air um people are like literally living on top of one another everything has basically been turned into a high-rise and your home is like a very small apartment in a big high-rise and I basically have B and Agnes are this mother and daughter. Agnes is very sick. B is um, trying to find a way to make her well, but she's run out of options. Like the medicines don't work. There's really nothing that they can do for her except as one of the doctors says who treats her kind of on the after hours. She says it's the only thing that Agnes needs is new air you know different air and so B learns of this study that is asking for volunteers to go live in the wilderness state um, you know under the idea that they want to study how people and nature interact because it hasn't happened in so long that it's kind of this lost history Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, you know, in the same way that we study things now, someone's got some idea and they want to test it. So they want 20 volunteers to go live there as, as naturally as possible. So as prehistoric hunter gatherers where they leave no trace, they make no mark, they make no permanent, um, impact on the land. And they, part of the, part of the experiment is to see if they can do that if people can even live in, in nature without impacting it in some way. And how they would do it too. Yeah. And how, um, so that is the, that's kind of the setup. And then the novel starts after this group of 20 volunteers has been there for a couple of years. So all of the like (laughs) drama, you know, all the dramatics and all of the like, you know, early deaths and, you know, trying to figure things out and the real hardship is over. And now it's just life. And they've like figured out how to live there. And now they're just living there. And it's still a very hard life because it's like daily survival. But it's also this strangely bureaucratic, like monotonous life, um, much like their life was in the city. And I mean, I really wanted to look at how something so different could also feel the same um, as far as like living is concerned. Because I think that is actually, (laughs) I love that you think that because it's this way of thinking we're going to be the people we're going to be no matter where we are Mm -hmm. and, and maybe taking responsibility for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, one of the things that I knew was that I would write a book where the heroes seemed very different than a hero in like a heroic book. You know, like I wanted people to just be people. I wanted mothers to be not like the classic mom and I wanted villains to not be the classic villain. I wanted everyone to just seem very human. Around 6 p.m. 
Other locations impacted by the severe thunderstorm include Plainfield, Island Lake State Recreation Area, Conway Township, Pinckney State Recreation Area, Hudson Mills, Parker's Corners, Lakeland, Linden Township, Chilton and Unadilla. Repeating, a severe thunderstorm warning has been issued until 6.30 p.m. for the following counties in Michigan, Livingston and Washtenaw. Even though Agnes isn't his daughter, he has adopted her in his heart, right? Mm -hmm, um, definitely. So, when you were writing much later in the arc of the novel, like this part when Glenn is getting getting sicker and sicker um, and weaker, what do you? Th why was it important for you to write that part in the community how they treated Glenn? As he gets sicker, they have a harder time taking care of him. That, yeah, because they they don't take care of him, right? Um, yeah, they don't. I mean, according so B and Agnes, well, Agnes a little less because she's a little still a little young to totally understand all the ins and outs. But B returns, she finds um, Glenn pretty ill. Um, and to her, it's like they're not taking care of him. And to them, they feel like they're doing way more than they normally would because he's Glenn, because they wouldn't want to hurt Agnes. Um, and I basically like there's there's hints throughout that um, where I'm trying to explain like their sense of how the natural survive how like survival has impacted them and changed their humanity mm -hmm. um and they've like had to leave people behind and they've had to just they've lost someone tragically and quickly and then been walking again within you know several minutes. minutes um yes they just have to they just have to keep moving on which is something I'm just fascinated by how different people grieve. Um, and I think that's probably where that comes from, but also that like, and when you, I mean, I like watch a lot of nature documentaries. Um, it's like, I always have, it's like one of my earliest memories. And that's like the story of that. They're always telling in those is like the like life or death battle every day for that all those animals are undertaking um whether it's you know and like a fox raiding uh a you know rabbit den and like you know eating the babies or like lions taking down an old or a young um gazelle you know like it's just mm -hmm. like that's just the world and you're the whole point day to day is just to survive it and to figure out ways of doing that um of either like tricking trickery or just brute survival and I felt like if my people were gonna live like wild things um that they were gonna lose something and gain something at the same time and so they were gonna lose a bit of the conventions and traditions of being a human of being a social of, of society and they were going to revert back to people who live moment to moment you know mm -hmm. yeah because from from the very first the opening moments after we've got the epigraphs um which are great. I love that you have two, Aldo Leopold and then also Alex Chilton. Um, <laughs> it made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> well, I think it really does. I think it, and it does, it, and it's almost like you definitely need both. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, but, but so the, the first, cause we were talking about, um, when we heard you read earlier, Diane, we were in part three, the big walk and then, mm -hmm. but part one, the ballad of uh, Beatrice, uh, we we start out in a, a very um, I don't know. Could you talk about like why this like how you decided this was the first scene? Um, will you will you talk through it? 
Yeah, um, I think it's one of the first scenes I ever wrote for the book. So that day that I, I mentioned that I just sat down. Yes. Um, I think it's like one of the very first things I wrote. It was always the beginning. Um, wow. And un until the very end, I think at the very end when I was like had, I was maybe on my third draft or something and a couple people had read it and I knew I was handing it in really soon. I kind of lost confidence briefly and thought, you can't open a book like this. Like, this is too much. Um, but then I decided that I had to do it this way. Um, so it begins with B. She has, she's been pregnant and has just miscarried. Or, I mean, it's, it's debated. I mean, she's basically has a stillbirth at the beginning of the book. Um, that you're present for and because they live in the wild she has to leave the fetus out um, and leave it behind and I even in my wavering about like whether I could open a book this way because it's a very lonely hard scene um, yes but I think it sets up something that you need to have in the back of your mind as you read B's character, because I think she can be really complicated and difficult to understand sometimes. And I knew that even though that beginning part is hard, um, she's the one who endures it. And I think that if you keep that memory with you, as you read her, you have more empathy for her. Um, throughout some of the things that she does in the book, which are, can be difficult to understand. Um, or that was my, that was my hope anyway, yeah. is that you couldn't ever totally turn your back on B because you saw her go through something really harrowing. Um, and you know that, 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 that affected her. And even though she is thorny and tough, that's, coming out in some way um so I wanted I wanted you to always I wanted someone on her side I guess you know um even though I knew that she had a more difficult story to tell uh because I'm on her side and I wanted there to be a tenderness towards her even when she does things that just seem wrong thanks for talking about that Diane because I yeah that it feels like a necessary like lens in a way like like we know so everything else we learn and are introduced to about the whether it's something that predates that in her life or comes after in the wilderness state and mm -hmm. that you just you you have that because I think there are moments that also change us and make us who we are as people and that this is a way where you were yeah you were brave to clearly show us a moment that made the character made her who she is mm -hmm. yeah and I um yeah I I felt like it was important um and even like I said I I never wavered until I wavered and then I wavered hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you um, get back to it then? What happened, Diane? Well, I think I just, I was at like the, almost the end of a project. And I don't know if you ever get like this where it's like, I mean, I've been working on it for like five or five years mm -hmm. and then suddenly was certain that it was terrible and like nothing made sense. And like, I couldn't do it this way. And it's almost mm -hmm. like, um, like all the animals like howling right when the sun goes down. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's just like the, your last gasp where you're just going to like, this is the last time I'm going to freak out. I'm going to freak out real hard. It's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> and my freak out was like, I'm going to cut the first scene, you know, um, which I think happens when people write books all the time. Uh, they change the beginning and the end like many times or multiple times are really late um, that makes a lot of sense to me, but this one, so this was, um, 
I did play around with a prologue for a little while, but then I cut it at some point. Um, but this was always the first scene, and then and I think it, it makes sense. Um, and I also think it like is a weirdly clean way of bringing you into the world because yeah. she is going through this harrowing experience in the desert, but she has a memory of what it was like with her first daughter. And you also, which which happened in the city. And so she has these connections to the past and to that place that are complicated for her to parse all the time, you know, given the life that she lives now. And also there's this idea of, um, family and uh what's the word i'm looking for like generations and also this idea of like what kind of world they live in now and that how fast a perception of that could change so she is thinking i mean she's lost the baby and she's distraught by it but she also knows it's the right thing because she doesn't think it's she doesn't think that it was the right thing to do to bring a child into this world. But she brought a child into this world not that long ago. Um, and I think that there, that's something I feel like more and more women and families are going to have to think about as we get closer and, or as we just keep going down this destructive path we're on like in our real world right now um of just like i think that calculation is going to be changing all the time and i felt like it was really important for her to have that calculation uh to be making that calculation as well yes yeah why why was it important for the story um that we we end situated with agnes um the novel you mean yeah yeah well i think again with that like lineage of of women um because there's a big shift it feels like yeah so at some point agnes so the book is written in close third but it's close to b in the first half and it's close to agnes in the second it's agnes's story by the end and that always made sense to me because b it's like a passing of of power down through the generations in some way. Um, and the story, you know, once Agnes comes of age and inherits the world that they're living in, then it's hers to tell. You know, I think that that it's her world to make better or worse. And I think that there's this big question for her of what, mothers are and what her mother was and why they always I think the big question of the novel is between her and B between B and Agnes and it's about like who they are to one another and why they can't ever seem to really connect the way they want to and I think that is I think it's pretty universal with parents but most more mothers and daughters i just think there's something elemental in that relationship that is always perplexing even when it's close um and you know healthy uh and and their relationship isn't necessarily always healthy um but i think they really love each other but they always miss each other and so i wanted agnes to come to a place where she could begin to understand what that kind of love was that love for someone who eventually will outgrow you. Um, and because I think that that is the heartache, that's B's heartache is, and I think it's every parent's heartache is that if you do your job, well, your kids don't need you anymore eventually. And um, you're raising them to become something separate from you. That's the, your whole job. And I think I wanted that to play out fully through both of those characters. I wanted Agnes to see that heartbreak a little bit too. I think, and there's a beautiful moment um, t- 
towards the very end of the novel and we're in that we're in closely with Agnes and and she says it feels at times like the only instinct left in me it's the only way I know to raise a daughter it's how my mother raised me yeah yeah I thought a lot about my I maybe we talked about this in the last time we spoke but my mother passed away in 2008 and I think a lot of my writing over the past decade has been trying to parse how, well, parse like how to grieve um, and also how to like keep a hold or read or collect or somehow gain access to the things that those people we lose take with them. and there's like so much that I would love to ask my mom now that I never would have thought to ask her before because I wasn't like, for example, a mother or I wasn't married when she died. Um, I wasn't a lot of things by the time I lost her. And every day I can think of like 10 questions that I would love to ask her about just what's happening in my life during that day. And even though I can ask friends and I can ask other people, there's just like, I just want to ask her. And so I wanted that question of like, how do you, I feel like I'm collecting a base or like a bag of knowledge to pass along to my daughter. And I think my mother felt like that too whether she understood that or not and what happens to that knowledge when it's not shared before like that relationship is broken in whatever way it doesn't even have to be death but um like how do you gain access to all the things that that person took with them or how do you mourn that loss of information or how do you become how do you learn about the world when that teacher is gone you know what I mean um and I really wanted Agnes to begin to feel that um because as she ages into someone whose life is going to become about someone else now which is kind of what happens when you become a parent I thank you Diane and I love how in the characters of Agnes and Fern you really made nature such a part of them like with Agnes I don't know it just what we were talking about from the very beginning of our conversation today like the natural world is so much a part of 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 Service in Detroit. Pontiac has issued a severe thunderstorm warning for Livingston County in southeastern Michigan, northwestern Washtenaw County in southeastern Michigan until 6.30 p.m. At 5.36 p.m., a severe thunderstorm was located over Stockbridge, Oregon, 10 miles west of Pinckney, moving northeast at 60 miles per hour. Hazard, 60 miles per hour wind gusts. Source, radar indicated. Impact, expect damage to roofs, siding, and trees. This severe thunderstorm will be near Pinckney around 5.45 p.m. Howell around 5.50 p.m. Brighton around 5.55 p.m. Heartland around 6 p.m. Other locations impacted by the severe thunderstorm include Plainfield, Island Lake State Recreation Area, Conway Township, Pinckney State Recreation Area, Hudson Mills, Parker's Corners, Lakeland, Lindham Township, Chilson, and Unadilla. Repeating, a severe thunderstorm warning has been issued until 6.30 p.m. for the following counties in Michigan, Livingston, and Washtenaw.
Hello, this is Robin Zanner. Hello, this is Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick for Rad. Some people think it's fun to drive drunk, but that's unacceptable. Be smart. If you drink, don't drive. Think ahead and choose a designated driver. Remember, music lives and so should you. Public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. In the dull and commonplace occurrences of day-to-day living, one thing stands out as a completely unique experience. Shortstack, full-service radio for the discriminating listener. Thursday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. on WCBN. Rise for a year or two, then make war. 